Hey everyone, welcome in to a, another daily editorial here on the KE Report. In this daily editorial, we're going to be talking rare earths, a uh, broad overview of that sector, and then also driving down into a rare earths company, Commerce Resources, traded on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol CCE, and on the OTC markets under the symbol CMRZF. We are chatting with the president and CEO, Chris Groves. Now, Chris, as I mentioned, let's start off with some broad comments on the rare earth sector. It's one that is picking up some traction and it has gone through its pops back in history where investors came rushing in and then it seems like investors get distracted somewhere else and move on to another sector. Bit more interest has been in rare earths right now. I think a bit more interest broadly in commodities but can you give us kind of a macro look at the rare earth sector in terms of where it stands right now and what's going to be driving this market moving forward, please? Sure, absolutely. Good to talk to you today. And uh, I would suggest or encourage listeners to view rare earth elements as uh, one of the best opportunities in the commodity markets today. And that simply comes from the continued increased global demand of rare earth elements as the world looks to transition from a, a dependency on fossil fuels over to this cleaner, greener world based upon renewable energy, but then also specifically based upon the transition to uh, the electrification of transportation. And what I really mean is electric vehicles and wind turbines, both of those things. And so in terms of any chart that is available right now, in terms of electric vehicle sales, all listeners, all investors should be aware that these numbers are going up uh, at, at an incredible rate. And arguably 2022, or in Q1 right now of 2022, the numbers will are continuing to increase or the percentage of, of demand continues to increase. And ultimately, the, the continued increased global demand for rare earth elements is based upon primarily magnets. And so these rare earth elements, which are essential to manufacture these permanent magnets that are then found in literally every electric motor made. And you can go to websites like Stanley Black and Decker and take a look at inside their motors and see these rare earth elements chasing each other. Or you can go to the washroom and, you know, dry your hands in a Dyson uh, a, a hand dryer. And, you know, the power of that uh, Dyson, whether, whether it's the hand dryer, whether it's a vacuum cleaner, the power really comes from these rare earth element magnets chasing each other inside the electric motor. So, again... The continued increased uh, demand globally for rare earth elements against major issues on the supply side is really what all investors should understand. This is really the most acute case of demand outstripping supply. And there is no simple, easy answer to, to address uh, this supply gap uh, that is developing right now and which will continue uh, to increase, arguably, over the next, you know, till the end of this decade. Um, it, it has been opined by several uh, uh, rare earth element analysts that you will need four or five projects uh, uh, similar to uh, size of annual production 
to the only new commercially significant producer of rare earth elements in the last 20 years. One, one commercially significant producer of rare earth elements successful in getting into production in the last 20 years, and that is the Australian company Linus. And they produce approximately 40,000 tons of rare earth element concentrate per annum. And as I said, these analysts have suggested that we would need four or five of these other new producers to uh, uh, simply supply the amount of material uh, at the current trajectory of increased global demand. So again, bottom line is that a global demand continues to increase as the world transitions over to you know electric vehicles and renewable energy, and then there are these major issues on the supply side. Currently, the prices for rare earth elements are higher than they have been in the last decade as well. And in the last decade, just to be very clear, global demand has better than doubled the amount of rare earth elements used on an annual basis. Well, Chris, thank you for that overview of the sector and the demand. And and I think let's maybe shift over to the supply side, because as you mentioned, a a decade ago, there was a big run in the rare earth sector. And for investors that were looking at it, I, I was involved in the sector in 2010 to 2012, when there was that big run. Out of all of the companies that formed, and there were a lot, there were dozens, maybe up to 100 at one point, only Linus really made it into production. And then we had Molly Corp, which is now MP Materials. But there were very few that actually crossed the finish line, Chris. And I think some of that is due to the nature of how these deposits are formed. We always hear the cliche that rare earths aren't rare, and there's plenty of them in the earth. But the reality is there's very few that actually can pull together into an economic deposits. And there's lots of different kinds of mineralization that, that rare earths can uh, appear in, but not all of those are easy to mine or can even be mined. And so maybe just walk us through on the supply side, what kind of deposits host rare earths? What can investors look at? Because if we do see another boom in rare earth companies, it's important to be able to separate companies that actually could have a go forward basis project and companies that are just marketing fluff. So could you walk us through where these rares come from, these 17 different materials, and sometimes people throw in other specialty metals along with them, and where are these found on the planet, these in concentration that actually make sense economically to mine? Sure, absolutely. And uh, I I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but let me for a second uh, posit the example of nickel deposits. And I think everybody understands that if you were looking for nickel, as so many people are right now, of course, because of the, the war in the Ukraine, you know, and the lack of interest in the production from Russia, Norilsk, et cetera. But let's go back to the uh, geological or mineralogical aspects of nickel. You would much rather, if you're looking for a nickel deposit, you would much rather find a massive sulfide like Glencore's Raglan or Voices Bay instead of a laterite. And generally speaking, laterite nickel deposits are only possibly economic in a third world country where you have a much lower labor cost because of the naturally much higher operating costs to actually process a laterite nickel deposit as opposed to the massive sulfides. Now, take that example and then multiply it by about 100. So, in terms of rare earth elements, and let me be very clear, the rare in the, in the name rare earth elements is extremely appropriate because there are so few rare earth deposits that are actually economic. And ultimately, uh, rare earths themselves can be hosted in over or are hosted in over 150 different minerals. 
But of that 150, there are only four minerals that host rare earth elements that are commercially processed today, and that number has not changed at all. Although there are deposits all around the world that are hosted by these other 150 thereabouts minerals that so far as yet have not been commercially processed. And so ultimately, the four rare earth elements that uh, are, are where rare earth elements are derived from on a commercial basis are led by monazite, basnesite, xenotime, and a really rare one is called loperite. And again, loperite is just generally found in Russia, and so arguably that source of supply is going to uh, see issues or is seeing issues right now in terms of being processed or bought by anybody outside of Russia. So then if you look at monocyte, basnesite, and xenotime-hosted projects, that's arguably your best bet in terms of making an investment into the space. Now, having said that, there are fundamental differences between those three as well. And ultimately, more of the rare earth element industry is focused now on monocyte-hosted ores because typically monocyte-hosted rare earth element projects uh, or monocyte sands as well, monocyte deposits have more specifically of what the downstream market wants. And that is specifically the four rare earth elements out of the 17 that are then vital to the manufacturer of permanent magnets. And these four rare earth elements are neodymium, praseodymium, terbium, and dysprosium. And so the projects that have a, a higher percentage of those four arguably should see more uh, uh, interest from industry, and arguably those should be at the top of the list of investor interest as well. So this ties into Commerce Resources because you guys hold a monazite deposit, the Ashram's Rare Earth Element and Floor Spar deposit. This is in Nunavik. Chris, what updates can you give us on this asset? My understanding is it is fairly de-risked already. You guys are really looking at how to move this forward into more of a development stage. But take us through where the project stands now, please. Well, thank you very much. Yes, so we are hard at work on the pre-feasibility study, the second of three economic reports required by the Canadian mining legislation. And uh, we certainly look forward to releasing the pre-feasibility study, hopefully by Q4 of this year, but it might be Q1 of next year. And, and part of that uh, question mark on timeline is due to the ongoing backlog at the assay labs, because everything that we do um, every optimization that we're looking for in terms of the process flow sheet has to be check assayed. And the industry itself uh, it, it has never really been as busy as it is right now. And so there is this ongoing backlog at the assay labs. But uh, thank you very much for allowing me to talk about the ashram because the ashram is the largest monazite dominant rare earth element defined resource that is hosted by a carbonatite on planet Earth. So we are the largest defined resource of monazite-hosted rare earth elements in North America and the largest uh, 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 monazite-dominant rare earth element resource hosted by the, the dominant host rock, which is carbonatite on planet Earth. So we're very excited by the, uh, the current states uh, of developments for the project as we work on the pre-feasibility study, as we work to uh, uh, define 
uh, the final design criteria for the processing of our material. And we're especially excited by what we just uh, a news released recently, which is our first production of a commercially marketable sample of a rare earth carbonate. And very specifically, all rare earth element projects also have a radioactive signature. The ashram has a very low percentage radioactive signature. It just has a very low level of thorium. But the sample we just produced was thorium-free. So this material, uh, the rare earth carbonate, can be shipped or sold to any processor on planet Earth. And that would include, you know, Solve Rhodia in France, uh, Neo Performance in Estonia, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Chris, I think this is another interesting aspect to maybe touch on briefly, and that is a lot of investors kind of glaze over when they think about just how many different minerals are in the rare earths, but then also on the other side of it, sure, you find some, you got to deposit, but then how do you process it? And it's, it's a very complex separation process and, and which minerals are going to be in there, you know, the heavies or the light rare earths. And so could you just simplify it for us as far as what is the goal that Commerce Resources has as far as finding a, a partner that can process this, I guess, low radioactive material now that you can do samples? And then would the end game to be to find someone that would do an offtake agreement with the company? Walk us through what that would look like on the other side of the development process. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, ultimately, since the ashram is such a standard uh, mineralized project, it, it's, it's monocyte dominant with a bastinocyte secondary, and then a small amount of what we call, you know, xenotime. And you could think about it as, you know, salt and pepper in on a, on a steak or something. It's like a little bit of spice on there. But overall, the ashram, we are very proud, has up to 24.7% of those four rare earth elements that are essential in magnet manufacturing. And that's one of the world's highest percentages of those four rare earth elements. In terms of processing, uh, because uh, the ashram is also so standard, and is also so similar to the world's largest producer of rare earth elements, which is the Bayan Obo deposit in Baotou, China. And they are a monazite uh, dominant carbonatite as we are. Ultimately, the, the processing at this point in time is all about optimization to ultimately have the most economic and the highest profit generating uh, flow sheet for the project. While at the same time, and as you mentioned very, very accurately, we also have this huge fluorospar byproduct. Actually, the ashram is, we believe, the world's second largest defined fluorospar resource, second only to buy an oboe. And so that is something that will be reflected and, and included in our pre-feasibility study, which was not included in our very positive economics that we released in our preliminary economic assessment uh, 10 years ago. So ultimately, to answer your question, the product we just produced could be the ideal input feedstock for many companies. And so ultimately, we would process to at least that level and then arguably look for an offtake from an industry partner or a project level investment where they would want to own per, perhaps a percentage of the asset itself. And so that is what we're close to hopefully uh, starting discussions about. So we do have a couple of majors that have requested a specific sample uh, of this rare earth carbonate from us. And we're probably about a month away from delivering those samples to these companies. And we are certainly hopeful that uh, we may be successful in a project level investment 
for the advancement and the completion of all of the other requirements before we apply for a mining permit. Okay, so Chris, it really sounds like you guys need some partner, maybe even a couple partners that contribute some cash and help move this project a bit more forward towards some sort of construction. That is down the road, though. And you mentioned you are delivering some of these materials, some of these samples to larger companies. What would the process look like time-wise? Can you use any other examples of any other rare earth assets that go through this process so investors have a bit of an idea of how long this could take or how quickly it could take? Well, you know, we've just really come through one of the deepest and the darkest and the longest of valleys and resources in general. And I think most listeners will understand that, you know. In March of 2011, you know, the venture exchange was at 2,600 points, and I think it's, you know, sitting around 900 right now. So it's been a very tough decade, no question about it. And so it's difficult to, to say or to state, well, let me say that this decade we've just gone through has been extremely challenging. But where we are right now, having just produced this first commercially marketable sample of material that could be the input feedstock for so many companies uh, globally, I think we're at a very dynamic place right now. And hopefully in the next quarter, we will be able to uh, uh, secure a, a partnership with one of these industry majors. And one of the other points I should point out is, is that depending upon the approximately two dozen global majors that have reached out to us, many of these have different input feedstock requests. And ultimately, Commerce Resources, having such a huge asset and arguably uh, an economic flow sheet, which we are looking to confirm in our pre-feasibility study, ultimately, we could do further downstream processing to satisfy the specific requests of any industry player. And so we are currently looking at some further downstream processing to separated oxides, such as, for example, the lanthanum oxide, which is used to process oil into gasoline, cerium carbonate, which is used to manufacture catalytic converters, or specifically neodymium, praseodymium oxide, which is the uh, ideal input feedstock to the magnet manufacturers. So we're, we're looking at all of those possibilities, and really, depending upon the input from an industry partner, we could then calculate uh, or detail uh, uh, this uh, economic scenario in our pre-feasibility study. All right. You know what, Chris, we're going to wrap it up here. Nice insights on the rare earth market, as well as quick little update here on commerce resources. Please keep us up to date as news progresses. I realize that you guys really are trying to work with some of the larger companies, and that can take time. But as this story develops, keep us up to date. And if anybody has any follow-up questions for Chris regarding the rare earths or regarding anything going on at Commerce, please email us, fleck at kereport.com or shad at kereport.com. We will get those answered for you. Chris, thanks again for the update. And again, keep us up to date on future news, please. Thank you. I very much appreciate your time today. Thank you.